Welcome to Silverbacks Valley, a podcast brought to you by Silverbacks Holdings. Today in the Valley with Ibrahim Sanya is an entrepreneur who dared to ask himself an unusual question. What if we started a new country? A country comprising the best that Africa and the diaspora offer across art, finance, tech, energy, sports, and media. That is the bold vision of this entrepreneur who trained as a lawyer before taking his first steps in the African tech space at Flutterwave. Today, the Valley welcomes co-founder of Afropolitan, Eche Emole. Welcome to Silverbacks Valley. I'm your host today, and my name is Ibrahim Sanya. Today's episode is sponsored by Statement. Statement is a media company focused on editorial coverage and market analysis of the African entertainment industry. Its production arm builds a pipeline for African women filmmakers. Magic Johnson, Samuel L. Jackson, and Latanya Richardson-Jackson are among the investors that support the statement's mission. We at Silverbacks Valley are big fans. Hey, Che. Beautiful to have you here. Thank you, thank you, thank you. It's been a long time coming. Yes. We talked so, about this since last year, right? Yeah. And now you're here in Cairo. <laughs> so, Afropolitan. Yes. Just amazing concept. Thank you. Before you delve mm. into the concept, tell us your origin story. Okay. How does a one that I was touching into law, <laughs> corporate entertainment yeah. lands here? And in that short depiction of your origin, mm-hmm. did the family or something influence you? Yeah. Um, I was born in Enugu, Nigeria uh, in 1990, August 1990. Uh, I was, I'm a son of Chidioke Mole and Nenai Mole. There, my grandfather was Echeme Mole. So he's Echeme Mole Senior, I'm Echeme Mole Junior. He was a former um, minister in the eastern region of Nigeria, minister of land and minister of finance. Um, I remember growing up in Enugu and we had a huge library, right? Mm-hmm. And I would find myself reading all the books in the library and just escaping. So the, the books w- seemed as a, an escape portal mm-hmm. where I would go, I would read. I think my grandfather had acquired a lot of these books from across multiple um, subjects matters mm. and for me that was my escape this is pre-internet of course mm. so i would go in there pick up any book read it pick up the bible read it pick up the quran read it um and i think that always allowed me to have a curiosity about different subject matters that then played across in my life and i think um we moved to the u.s when i was 15 from lagos nigeria and i got enrolled into a school in dublin california finished up high school went for a bachelor's in political science at San Jose State, finished up my master's at political science at San Francisco State, and then finished up law school in San Francisco at UC Hastings. And so from law, I pivoted into FinTech, which is where my Flutterwave journey um, began. I spent about a year at Flutterwave, and then I transitioned to Afropolitan full-time. Wow. Yeah. So you went from a law after mm-hmm. abundant reading mm-hmm. into a fintech. Yes. And then from that fintech experience that's 
currently the largest one in market capitalization yeah. term. You started Afropolitan. So tell us what is Afropolitan for the members of the audience that haven't heard about it. Yeah. Afropolitan, we are looking to create a digital nation to enable all Africans to live abundant lives. I think the best way to think about the Afropolitan journey is to think about it in three phases, right? Phase one of Afropolitan is an organization we started while in law school in 2016, catering to the African diaspora through events. So think Afrobeats parties, concerts, festivals. I have been doing a lot of these shows since I was about 18. So the Whiskids, the Davidos, the Burner Boys, the Two Faces, we were the ones who would usher them into the American um, market and then promote their shows at the time. Um, and one of the significant highlights of what we achieved in phase one was something called the Year of Return that mm -hmm. happened in Ghana in 2019. So we were able to help facilitate about a million plus people from the diaspora heading to Ghana. I think the Year of Return generated about $2 billion worth of economic activity in Ghana, right? Phase two of Afropolitan starts in 2020, where we were looking to reload the Year of Return and then COVID happens, right? The pandemic stops everything. So we were forced to pivot into media, but we did that through a social audio app called Clubhouse. Yes. So in Clubhouse, between I and my co-founder Chica, we built online communities there of about 200,000 people collectively. So through Clubhouse, we were able to show a capacity for collective action, which is we got people online, people couldn't move physically at the time, but we could get people online to donate to causes like the police brutality um, and SARS protest in Nigeria, or the Ethiopian civil war um, refugee crisis as well. And that was phase two. Phase three then starts in April, 2021, when we were in Dakar, Senegal, actually. I wake up at, I wake up at around <laughs> four or 5 a.m. I see an article from this man called Balaji Srinivasan. Mm. Balaji is the former city of Coinbase. And in this article, he's proposing an idea of how to start a new country. And in this article, he proposes this idea of a network state, which is a highly aligned online community with a capacity for collective action that's able to crowdfund territory around the world and eventually gain diplomatic recognition from pre-existing states. I remember reading that and saying, wow, like, this is a really good theory. <laughs> um, but there was a particular quote in the article where he says, because the brand new is unthinkable, we fight over the old. I remember just that quote just hit me like a force because mm -hmm. it felt like a challenge. I'm like, so what is the brand new that is unthinkable in our current context? Good roads, 24-hour electricity, <laughs> healthcare. Meanwhile, we know it's possible because we've traveled across to different lands where they have that. And then what is the old that we fight over? Maybe religion, maybe tribe, maybe politics. And I'm like, but we are descendants of people who did more with less. How is it possible that we, have, we can't do more with more when we have all these tools at our disposal. So I think for the rest of the year, we red-pilled our way into Web3, learning more about blockchain and why blockchain versus any other technology. Um, and come December 2021, I wake up at 5 a.m. I'm in Nairobi, Kenya. I'm pacing the room for about an hour. My partner's like, hey, what's going on? I'm like, look, I know how I would look at somebody who's about to tell you what I'm about to tell you, but I think we need to start a new country. And she's, she's like, wait, what? And so we drew inspiration from the US founding fathers, Alexander Hamilton and Federalist One. One of the arguments for why to create a new country for them was, would it be possible for societies of men to form a new government through reflection and choice? 
or are we forever destined to depend on our governance through accident and force? Mm -hmm. And we were like, damn, that's our why. Mm. No modern day nation state in Africa was really created through reflection and choice. It has mostly been through accident and force. And so what would it look like if we could organize ourselves around shared values at scale, right? The internet enables us to organize around shared values at scales in ways previously unimaginable before, right? And so what would that look like if we create a new country, internet first and land second? And so throughout that period, and I, I can pause there, but we developed a roadmap, a four-phase roadmap that we've been executing to, and we were able to raise funding to execute on phase one and phase two, so. Well, congrats. And Thank on you. your funding, uh, in which we're gonna get into, why don't you tell us some of the people you successfully yeah. uh, invited and yeah. accepted the invitation? I think when we were thinking about our funding round, one of the things I said to my co-founder was, we have to, there has to be a coalition of the willing, right? It has to be something that cuts across borders, cuts across tribes, cuts across religion, cuts across enemies, <laughs> right? Where, you're, where you see like, okay, these people, it's hard to get all these people in one room. So what is it about this project that would make all of them want to back it to succeed, mm. right? And so we were very relentless in reaching out to people across different tribes, across different countries. I mean, I think our cap table is really like a United Nations of, of people. And I think the idea was, if you're going to race for a country, you need to start thinking like a country, right? Mm. You need to have, think across geopolitical lines, think about allies. Um, we have people like Balaji himself, who's an, uh, who's an investor with us. We have the founders of companies like Flutterwave, Paystack, um, Andela as well, who are on our cap table. And Elizabeth was one of the first people to really back us from the beginning. I think she was the first person we pitched and she just loved the idea. Um, we have a lot of other Web3 crypto VCs like Culture Capital, they've been one of our biggest supporters. Um, and their LP, Vanek, was the one who helped arrange our, um, us ringing the bell at the New York Stock Exchange and to be recognized as the first ever internet country. So we've had some really great backers. Fantastic, how much have you raised so far? So we raised about 2.4. Really? Excellent, yeah. excellent. Yeah. What, uh, what I find phenomenal about your journey mm -hmm. is how as an individual you're able to intersect mm -hmm. lots of thought mm -hmm. and philosophies from mm -hmm. Yuri Harari yeah. in his book Sapien. Yes. Where basically one of the biggest force mm -hmm. for groups to rally mm -hmm. and defend a vision mm -hmm. is around fictions. Yes. And there's a lot of knowledge there, mm -hmm. which I'll be curious to mm -hmm. hear if it did influence you at all. Yeah. And how that intersect with mm -hmm. symbology. Mm -hmm. Obviously, a big fan of his, mm -hmm. like you, we spent hours yeah. discussing yeah. who's a bigger fan of his, <laughs> but I think you win. <laughs> and uh, yeah. how he basically took mm -hmm. that notion to mm -hmm. the point of saying, let's, park the past mm -hmm. and look what can we derive from it, but yeah. build something completely new. Yeah. And as brutal as possible, mm -hmm. but capitalizing on what's happening mm -hmm. today. Mm -hmm. I also find a lot of your approaches mm -hmm. and how you've executed mm -hmm. it to be slightly influenced by Naval mm -hmm. Ravikant. So Definitely. I'm curious to see if any of these three individuals, mm. obviously you've indicated how biology yeah. has been heavy, but how about 
Yuval, and Naval? I think Yuval, when I first read Sapiens, mm -hmm. I think the first thought I, I came away from it was, we're not special as humans, right? Like, there have been people, <laughs> there have been people who've come who thought that they were the ones and, and species have just gone, right? And, and I think what I got from that is you have to earn your right to exist in this life. Like, there's no guarantee that your peoples, your language, your way of life survives outside of you, right? And you have to earn that right. And the decisions you make while you're here compound for the future, right? And th those were lessons I got from that as well. And also, whether it's the, the, the role storytelling also plays in shaping societies and shaping groups of people, that also helped. Um, in, in Naval's case, I think when I read Naval, the book, name of the book being The Almanac of Naval Ravikant, for the first time in my life, it just articulated, you know when you know you've mm. been feeling how you feel, <laughs> but you've never seen the words that help you articulate yeah. it back to yourself. Why am I an entrepreneur? Why do I feel, why did I feel willing to sacrifice a legal career for entrepreneurship when the chances are like 99% failure rates, right? Um, what is it that, that drives you? What is your mindset, right? What are the values that you're looking to espouse and how can you articulate those values? Values like being able to play long-term games with long-term people. Right, values like win and help win. Um, I think even in thinking through how the frameworks of making your decisions, right? How does that apply to your life? Um, why entrepreneurship? Sometimes even why capitalism in the first place, right? Because some people have a mindset towards wealth that is sometimes like, what is what is going on? And I remember when he, one of his quotes is when he says, society will if will reward you when you give it what it needs but does not yet know how to get how to get it right and to me that was a very excellent trade-off like well, who should have an issue with that and i think as somebody who had grown up in the san francisco bay area i could identify with that mindset because that is basically what the trade-off has been for a lot of the tech companies right you give people what they want but they don't know yet know how to get and this is how you get rewarded so you have examples like uber you have examples like airbnb or Stripe or any of these other top companies. And, and I was like, this is what in the African context, what is it that we want, but do not yet know how to get? And this cuts across borders. And it was like good government, good governance at scale, right? And I think for us, it's what does that unlock if you're able to solve this issue, but then tie it to other parts of and sectors that also allow for a holistic, absolute human flourishing, right? And that, that was the mindset that we got from folks like Naval, Yuval, and also Balaji. I think Balaji's zone was just a challenge where yeah. it says, because the brand new is unthinkable, we fight over the old. And you're saying to yourself, like, what does this mean? Like, so we can't do the unthinkable? Like, and what is the unthinkable in our case? Because we're not even talking about going to the moon. Yeah. Or we're not even talking about going to space. We're just saying good roads, good lights. Like, my children should be able to walk from point A to point B without being harassed, safety, security. And I'm like, but these are the, these are the things that are unthinkable in 2022, 2023, right? But if I, if I get a visa and go to maybe Sweden or go to Switzerland or go to uh, somewhere in America, they're like, they take that for granted. These are the things that are unthinkable for us. I'm like, it cannot be, right? And I think for me, it really set a standard of, this is why we have to do this, because we cannot continue to live life from a place of being ultimate outsiders. Right? There's a difference in mindset where you can now breathe and relax and not have to have the anxiety that being in Africa sometimes just forces you to consistently have, 
Whereas if you just move to other places, you've seen how they've conquered these challenges and now they're looking forward to the future. Hey, can we go to space? Or can we actually maybe not even go to space, but go internally and go do VR or AR? And you're like, but we're still discussing like Cessafly or Yellow Fever. And like, what is going, what is going on? Like what happened, especially like we're in Cairo right now, where you're descendants of people who built pyramids, right? And these are, this is, these are the examples you have. So you're like, what happened? When did we become disconnected from our roots and our history of building? Because this is what we've always done, right? So that particular quote was, how do we reconnect back to that ethos? Mm-hmm. So one of my favorite uh, keywords mm-hmm. he came up with in uh, the network state biology is this notion of uh, society as a service. Yes. Yes. So what are you doing around that notion at Afropolitan? I think um, it would be good to break up the four phases of the roadmap so, so that we can tie in society as a service. Mm-hmm. Phase one of Afropolitan's roadmap is building a private network of the best of the best Africa, the diaspora our allies have to offer across multiple sectors. So art, finance, tech, media, sports, energy, etc. right? And then seeding that network with our passports. We chose to go with art passports, going back to this mythology. We can't know where we're going on to have a firm understanding of where we're coming from. And part of our issues across Africa is our disconnection from our history and also our mythology. The Greeks have it, the Romans have it. Mm-hmm. Civilizations across time have had the stories that they've passed down over time. And so we believe that that was important to start from art. Art has always been the way a lot of movements started. Renaissance, mm-hmm. when we think about a Renaissance, it's always going back to the art, right? And mm-hmm. so we wanted to incorporate that into our origin story. Phase two is what we're calling society as a service or sometimes government as a service, which is how do you power this digital nation, right? And enable services for that digital nation. We've chosen to go the route of a super app or a super platform that would be able to do things like either remittances or risk capital or self-sovereign ID. The idea being you should be able to navigate the world with your phone or your internet ID and it cuts across borders. You shouldn't be able to go, why shouldn't you have one digital ID and services that follow you across borders. Why should you have to stop and then re, re-engage as you go through borders, right? In a world where the internet is borderless, we want to approach that same mindset, right? And that's phase two. Phase three for us is what we're calling the minimum viable state, right? Mm. The idea being what is the smallest version of this country you can execute towards to? And how do you build the credibility so that when you do come to say, hey, recognize us as a, us as a country, you have showed you have a track record, right, mm-hmm. that justifies it. The way we think about that is last um, de- September, we got recognized by the New York Stock Exchange as the first ever internet country for the African diaspora, right? Fantastic. Um, we provide visa and arrival services for our members to places like Nigeria, Ghana, Kenya, Tanzania, right? The idea being, listen, when you're an Afropolitan, we just get it done. There's mm-hmm. no, oh, bureaucracy, this, or this is stopping this. You come to people, we are connected, we have a network, we will get it done for you so that we want to play the role that Amazon Prime or Amazon plays in the lives of a lot of people. Where if you ask the average American or average person who uses Amazon, Amazon or your government, most of them would choose Amazon when it comes to services, right? Because Amazon has set such a standard of excellence. And I think that's the thought process around what society as a service looks like. Your government should be able to function as the companies in your life that deliver services to you do. And if they're not able to do that, you should have the ability to opt out and opt into the competition. 
right? Mm. And that is the mindset around this, which is we want governments to experience the same sort of competition that companies experience. Because when another company, let's say when MTN is not doing well, you can go to Airtel. If Airtel is not doing well, you can go to Orange. If Orange isn't going well, you go to Etc. What happens in Africa is I'm a Nigerian. If Nigerian government is not doing well, I have to basically figure out a way to get a visa to go to somewhere abroad. But that process is not as easy to go through. So maybe only 50,000 people a year are able to experience that. But what that then means is you can be a Nigerian and have a really terrible government and you have no other opportunities to be able to get out of that. Mm. And so the thought process here is to say, how do we bring in that level of competition mm. to governments or countries where if this country isn't doing well, you need to be able to point to an example of one that's doing well, but it forces them and acts as a point of leverage for them to get their stuff together. Mm. Phase four is the land piece, right? We want to combine two concepts together. Um, one is a embassy and the other one is a Chinatown. So take, for example, the U.S. Embassy in Cairo, for example. It's a sovereign territory mm. in a host government. Mm. In Chinatowns, they have their own post office, their own malls, their own, bank, um, their own banking. We want to combine those two concepts together to give us a sovereign Afrotown. So then let's zoom out. You're an Afropolitan citizen. You navigate the world with your Afropolitan passport. You're able to make payments for goods and services using the Afropolitan currency with the Afropolitan super app. And you're able to gain physical entry into sovereign Afrotowns located across the world in major cities across the world. And that is, in a nutshell, the vision of what we're building for. No, oh, phenomenal. A currency is needed then. It's very needed, very needed because I'm Nigerian. I, I'm used to waking up to see my currency devalued overnight, right? <laughs> like, it's like you can have savings, you can have investments, you wake up the next day, your central bank says to you, hey, tough luck, you know, your, your currency has gone from maybe 200 naira to $1 to 1000 to $1. And, you, and they expect people to just keep trusting, right? But a big part of a government is your competence, right? You have to have, we have a crisis of legitimacy when it comes to governance across Africa, mm -hmm. right? And if you can't even, if people can't trust the government, because people are working hard. People are, are, are doing what they're supposed to do. They're keeping their savings. They're making their investments. But if your monetary policy is not abiding by the fundamentals and by the rules, why should the people trust the government? There's no reason for them to. Mm -hmm. And then, but you then say to them, no, but just trust us implicitly and trust us forever, even though we're showing you by our actions that we are not worthy of the responsibility of governments. And so for us, the way we think about this is we need a currency that's also stable where you, can, you should feel comfortable. The same sort of trust that you have in the US dollar or you have in any other foreign currency, you should have that same sort of trust with your own local currency as well. Solid. Mm -hmm. What's even more um, uh, reconforting mm -hmm. is that while from far, mm -hmm. it looks like an experiment that has been undone mm -hmm. in Africa. Mm -hmm. I would argue that uh, when you look close, mm -hmm. we actually have mm -hmm. a case, which is Rwanda, mm -hmm. which is a country that is completely exactly. dislocated uh, from internal mm -hmm. war mm -hmm. in less than 30 years. Started exactly. from scratch. Exactly and adopted best practice at every level exactly. and is where it is today. Mm -hmm. And if you look at the velocity of the growth, the wealth created, the poverty diminished, and the level of performance mm -hmm. of the government mm -hmm. comparatively to the elder one, yeah. you can see that new could be the solution mm -hmm. for 
what we've known so far. So yeah. I definitely think that this is, it's actually spectacular that mm. globally, that the philosophies mm. of biology mm. have not triggered mm. another geography mm. to attempt a country. I remember when we were raising, um, they asked us, why are you the first ones, or at least why are you the first ones pitching us this? And, and the mindset being like, usually this is not something we see coming out of Africa. Africa copies. We, 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 we hear pitches like, hey, we're looking to build the uh, Uber for Africa or the Airbnb for Africa. We've never heard this one before. And I said to them, like, well, like, if we were all on the call and we were citizens of Switzerland, and I came to you and said, hey, I want to start a new country, you'd be like, why? What's wrong with this one? Right? Because the pain points are not similar. When you talk to any African anywhere in the world, wherever they're located, they can tell you that this is something that they need. This is something that they want. They do, they do not know how to get it, but they have a longing for home. Like, why should we grow up in a situation where our friends have to move, our loved ones have to move? Some people have gone five, 10 years without seeing their mom or dad or their brothers or their sisters, and this is acceptable because you're chasing optionality and opportunity. Why? Mm. Mm. Whereas, like, I, I, when I went to school, you see a lot of the Americans or the British or everybody else, they can say, hey, we grew up in the hometown together. Mm. We're friends who lived here together. We went to the, this high school. We're stu we still do this. And you're like, this is compounding. This is like, they get to spend and cherish their best moments. But for us, because we're chasing optionality and opportunity in our lives, we have to leave. And sometimes we're not even able to come back. Or sometimes a lot of us don't come back. Right? And so for me, it's... When, when Balaji said, because the brand new is unthinkable, we fight over the old, I'm like, why is it unthinkable for me to grow old with my friends? Mm. Why is it unthinkable for, my, for me to grow mm. old with my kids, with my brothers, for them, for us to cherish these moments, mm. right? Why is that unthinkable? Mm. Why should that be the thing that I, like, want, I really need, but I know I'm not able to get, so I don't even address it anymore, right? And mm. so for us, it was, this, these are the sort of issues we want to tackle. And when I was saying to them, like, it's not a pain point for you guys because you guys have never stopped to even consider what this looks like. Because mm. you don't even have a, a world in which you're waking up anxious of, hey, I might not be able to see my friends for five, 10 years. They've moved to Canada. They've moved to Sweden. I might not be able to see my family for a while because these are not your pain points, right? Mm. And so I had to break, break, break it down to them that way where, look, this is a pain point that is very visceral for a lot of us. We've just learned to just keep quiet about it. Right, because we're always understanding, okay, my friend has moved to Canada. This is somebody that I love and I cherish. And I understand why they have to do it so I don't complain. Mm. Right? But deep in, inside, we're hurting. Right? Mm. My brother, my sister, I haven't seen them in a while. I understand the choices of why they had to make it, but is this mm. life? Mm. Right? And so for me, it's, when I saw that quote, it still always brings goosebumps to me because it was like, is this what is unthinkable for us? Not mm. going to Mars. Not going to space, but being able to grow old with our loved ones, with people that we care about, growing up in a society that cherishes us as a people, that should not be what's unthinkable. That should be very, very thinkable, right? Mm -hmm. And achievable. So yes, that, that, is the, that is the explanation I give. What's even uh, most interesting mm. for me, and we've spent a lot of the time mm. in the past looking at Africa, mm as a limited fence geography mm. with a population of a number X mm -hmm. going from Cairo mm. to Cape Town. Mm. However, as we are advancing as a civilization, yeah. 
we're getting to look at the diaspora. Mm -hmm. And that's what I love most about what you're all doing. Yeah. Because when you think about it, yeah. the diaspora is exactly that underserved group mm -hmm. of people mm -hmm. that yearn mm -hmm. for home. home in terms of product, mm -hmm. destination, mm -hmm. common culture. Mm -hmm. It has always been there mm -hmm. in small pieces, mm -hmm. but there was never an alignment of all parts. Because yeah. if you see the component of uh, people on the continent, mm -hmm focus on these 1.3 billion mm -hmm. but the migrants mm -hmm. outside are 150 million mm -hmm. with greater disposable income definitely that have the same set of problems you talk about they neither have a full passport of the home mm -hmm. or full passport of the host yeah but yet they are sitting in that middle yeah and I, I do believe that that middle is the biggest gem mm that most corporates mm. do not serve. So yeah. if you're actually able to build a government, a mm. country around that, you're getting something that is really rare mm. because they, have, they are a community mm. that have common needs, common ills. Yeah. And the more you're able to provide medication solutions mm. for that set, you really get an audience that will welcome you with open arms. I agree. I agree. I, I grew up as the first... I grew up among the first young African immigrants in the San Francisco Bay Area to break into tech, right? Mm -hmm. And so what I got to see was my friends who... They were the first ones in their families, maybe at the time, who've earned six figures at that young of an age, right? And this cut across all nationalities. Egyptians, Ethiopians, Eritreans, Nigerians, Ghana, Ghanaians, South Africans, etc. And what I would notice was when you're in an environment where there's an abundance, where you can afford to take care of family, you can afford to take care of whoever it is, and money is not your necessarily immediate hunger, mm. and you are in a much more abundant state, race doesn't matter, tribe yeah. doesn't matter, yep. religion doesn't matter. Yep. I, we would go out to all eat, all of us from different places in Africa, and people would be rushing to be the ones who would put their card down to pay for the yep. entire meal. And I said, this is where Africa is. This is Africa here. I don't need to watch Wakanda to know, to, to experience it, right? This is what Wakanda is. But so what is the difference between what I'm seeing here and back home? And I said to myself, it's survival, it's scarcity. When you have scarcity of mind and survival, all you're thinking is how you're going to eat today. You can't think about your brother or, the, or play long-term games with long-term people. Mm -hmm. You're thinking, oh, if they take from me, we don't have. And then the politicians or whoever tries to profit from that will then sow those seeds of discord mm. and say, well, if you let the Aosa man come in here, you won't get anything as Igbos. Or as Igbos, if, or as Aosas, if you let the Igbo man get in here, you won't get anything as Aosas. And if it's religious, it's if you let the Christians come in here, they'll take from us. Or if you let the Muslims come in here, they'll take from us. And you say to yourself, okay, and this, is what, this was then the experiment. And take, for example, in Nigeria's history. We have been ruled by the Northerners for 42 years out of 60 plus years. Mm. What is the average Northerners man's experience now being ruled by somebody from your tribe? It should be Dubai at that point. Mm. But mm. then now you've realized after 60 plus years of independence, your salvation is not going to come just because you have tribal affiliations with the next man. Mm. It is going to come from shared values and ideas and purpose, mm. right? And so mm. 
what does that then look like when as you organize a new country mm -hmm. you're now centering around those shared values and purpose mm -hmm. not around skin color not around Absolutely. tribe, not around religion, not Absolutely. around, you know, you know what I mean? Not around football teams, right? You're now centering around shared values and purpose and ideas. And you need to be able to clearly articulate what those values are so that as you're filtering for people, which is what we did as we sort out of our first 500 passports was you had to apply, right? And in that application, we filtered for alignment. We filtered mm. to make sure that, hey, do we have the same mindset? Do we have the same values? Do we have the same thought processes for what we want for ourselves. If we do, you are welcome to join us on this journey. If we don't, it's okay. There, I'm sure there's another journey somewhere in the world for you, but it is not here for you, right? And I think for us, that was the, that was the, the mental switch that needed to happen for us to then continue to build out. Phenomenal. Yeah. No, I, I love it. And uh, I think it's in the network state where biology mm -hmm. just reminds uh, all the readers mm -hmm. that you probably have about 20 countries that mm. have over 100 million people. Yeah, only. Only. However, if you take Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, etc., etc., yeah. you have numbers Billions. drastically. Billions. And uh, shared community, shared value mm. is really what tie people and yeah. more recent generation get more focused on those mm. shared value than a fiction whether it's race that divides you yeah. or religion that divides you, it's yeah. becoming less of an issue and yeah. um, such digital communities mm -hmm. are becoming the trend for the future. Yeah. Now, in, in, in your own case, uh, has there been a quote from mm. Naval? You've mm. given us the favorite <laughs> quote you've had from Balaji. Yeah. What's your favorite quote from Naval? I think the one that comes quicker to mind is where he says, you want to be able to play long-term games with long-term people. Because mm. it ties into the ideology of abundance that Afropolitan is centered around. When, what that means for me is when you're playing long-term games with long-term people, you're thinking about compounding, right? Mm. You're thinking about, um, do you think in decades or are you just thinking about today? today. Because if you're just thinking about today, <laughs> we're not aligned. If you're thinking about in decades, if you think about it in even 40, 50 years, we are aligned because you understand that this journey is not just going to end here or start mm -hmm. here and end today. This mm -hmm. is a long-term journey. And I think um, I just turned 33. And one thing I came to, I've come to appreciate is the compounding of a decade yeah. where you have compounded in relationships, in friendships, in, in business relationships as well. Mm -hmm. And that even while raising, I think you never really know or like why people might be backing you because initially they're just backing you as a founder. They're not necessarily backing your idea because your idea could fail, but they're backing you as a founder. But then the reason why they're backing you is what have you shown them the last 10 years? What is something that you have committed yourself to doing and they've seen you stick with it because any journey as an entrepreneur is going to take you at least five to 10 years to mature, right? And so if you're the type of person who you say you're going to do something, you quit tomorrow. Or you say you're going to do this other thing, you quit tomorrow. It's like, okay, like why should I, why should I compound with you, right? Mm -hmm. And so when he says play long-term games with long-term people, what that forced me to do is then to look within my life or within my circle and say to myself, who are the long-term people here? Who is the person that, barring death or illness, that I will see them working on their craft and perfecting their craft five years from now, mm -hmm. 10 years from now, 15 mm -hmm. years from now? And that if these are the people who are around me today, I want to compound with them. If they come to me and say, hey, I have this business idea, I'm like, say less here. 
If they come to me and say, hey, can we help do this? Or can we work together? Say less here. Because now you're saying to yourself, if Eche or this other person is going to be CEO tomorrow of whatever company, you don't even know what that company is. Now, if I have a kid, I'm hoping that if my kid needs an internship under Eche's company, we can now make that happen because that is, a, that is leadership he should be willing to foresee. But what then happens when I look back in the past was where were the long-term people? Where were the long-term <laughs> games? Because it felt like as soon as they inherited the wealth, we're spending it today. There's today, no, there's today, no five, ten, today. twenty-year outline, you know. And, and I can, and it's something that disappoints me even from a personal family history perspective. But I've seen this happen across multiple families across Africa. Where, where is the generational wealth? Where is the thing that people can look forward and see legacy? Whereas in a place like Cairo, I see pyramids that have lived for. 500 years, 400 years. That is compounding. And maybe longer. The pharaohs were the longest term players. <laughs> you know what <laughs> I mean? They're the ones who really played the longest term of all. And I think one other thing that quote does for me is it centers me because sometimes when you're on a mission or a purpose, you may not be accepted by the people that you currently live in that moment. And so your appreciation and your honor might not even come while you're alive. Mm. It might come 100 years after you're dead. Later. 50 years. Yeah. And you have to be then be able to understand that you are not doing that for personal glory right now. Your, your, your honor will come even way before you're gone or way after you're gone. And you need to be able to make peace with that. Mm -hmm. And I just finished reading um, Alexander Hamilton's biography. I was mentioning it to you. And the work this man did, he wasn't as honored, even though he was respected during his time, but his honor has come much more later where you see plays like Hamilton or, yeah, yeah. or some of the you know, movies that have come out about him. And, and when I think about that, what that quote really puts me in the perspective of is you have to be able to surround yourself with people who are thinking on that sort of timeline. They're not chasing trends. They're playing forever games. And when you're playing forever games, it sets you in a whole different path because you're not looking to catch the trending topic or mm. you don't necessarily want to be viral, right? Or, mm. or, or you're not going for the thing that just plays to your status mm. or plays to your ego. You are literally playing positive sum games. And I think that that's one of the best quotes from Naval that I really love. What is the biggest misconception people have about you and why do you think that is? The biggest misconception about me or, or and when you say me, you mean Afropolitan or me personally? Or do you, and then you'll tell us Afropolitan. Okay. I would say, when I think about my biggest misconception, I think people might think my um, motivations come from something else, whether it's being motivated by money or being motivated by an easy life or being motivated by something else, mm. whatever it is. And I think sometimes is when you're trying to do what we're trying to do, because you're not necessarily thinking about money. Money might be a byproduct of you delivering great work and doing amazing mm -hmm. things. But I think for me, when you're chasing a sort of legacy and impact, the money is just secondary, mm -hmm. right? Like the mission comes first. Mm -hmm. um, that, that's one. I think for Afropolitan, we've heard things like, hey, you guys are just, this is a, this, these Nigerians have come with the most elaborate scam of all times. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, they're not content to do the emails. They're not content to be Nigerian places anymore. They're they trying to build a country. And I think for, I think for me, like what is, what is the juxtaposition and the, the quote unquote, like it, it just feels eerie because when I'm in white spaces or in Western spaces, they're like, oh my God, 
the most ambitious, audacious product of all time. How can we work with you? How can we compound with you? Let us figure out a way to help you. When you're in like Nigerian spaces, they're like, yeah, this guy, man. Like, just go do do your normal scams. Let's just keep it, keep it going. I think for us, it's like, it's been very interesting because you're like, why would we, if we were a scammer, why would we choose this? They're easier scams to do. Like, they're easier scams to do. But I think what I also realized that comes from that is that Balaji quote, mm-hmm. where he says, because the brand new is unthinkable, we fight over the old. Yeah. So it's almost like the, one of the biggest challenges we've had is a mindset challenge. Yeah. Are we used to actually being the ones who lead versus the ones who follow after things have been done, right? Are we the ones who are going to invest in Airbnb or an Uber or a Stripe or a Facebook? Or are we the ones who just use it? And then, you know, from there, we then create things that are localized for our own context. Mm-hmm. And I think for a lot of Africans, we've been so disconnected from our history, where when you then come and propose something that might be innovative or, or new, and we're the ones who have to go build it, even the mindset of building, we've been disconnected from that for a while, mm-hmm. where the hard work of building. I remember I went to see one of the pyramids. They told me, these pyramids sometimes could take 20 years to build. Mm. And so again, these are our ancestors. This is not something I'm disconnected from. This is something that has happened within the generation of humanity. And we used to build. And today, some of us don't even know how we, they did it, but the idea is we have the capacity to do this. So we shouldn't just approach the world from the perspective of just being consumers and people who want to do the soft things, right? Mm. Entertainment, sports. Not to say that these are not hard, but mm. we are mm. put in a box of we mm. do the fun and mm. insane things. Mm. But when it comes to the hard sciences, the things that are really hard to do, this is where we check out, right? And I, and I think with Afropolitan, we're looking to counter that narrative. We want to be able to do our piano and also build pyramids at the same time. Mm. There should not be any, it shouldn't be mutually exclusive, right? And so for me, it's, that is one of the misconceptions that when it comes to either personal or, or Afropolitan. Yeah. So Eche, mm. what are you the most excited about? today I think in I'm, terms of project yeah baby product we're launching afropass um, what is afropass afropass is your vip passport to premium african experiences globally so think music food events but afropass in of itself as one of our community members said is also a trojan horse Mm. The way we're thinking about Afropass is we want to leverage the exploding African culture globally, mm. right? And then use that as a funnel to bring people in for mm. the fun, the cool experiences. But then underneath it, we give them the tools that actually have an impact in their lives. So mm. when you use Afropass, there are two main features. One is curations of these experiences. The other thing is a wallet. The wallet is also a hybrid wallet of a fiat wallet and a crypto wallet. Mm. So you're going to be able to make payments in either fiat, which is either in your currency mm-hmm. or in crypto. So mm. that optionality allows us to then go across borders with you. So the slogan for Afropass is actually live beyond borders. Mm. The idea behind why we even chose to go this route is in phase two, we're looking to build a super app, but you don't start off with a super app from day one. You have to start off with an MVP. And so when we're looking to see, okay, what are the other super apps that exist in the world? WeChat is a very mm-hmm. good example of that. And now in WeChat's case, the unique insight we understood from that was they've leveraged pre-existing user behavior, right, in building out their product. What does that actually mean? The idea being, what are people already doing? And then how are you automating that with your products, right? Mm. So in WeChat's case, they leverage things like red envelopes, like the Chinese would give each other, 
you know, red envelopes, um, and maybe sometimes even the language, or there's Mandarin or Cantonese. So how would that play out socially? If you're a Chinese worker, maybe you already have a favorite restaurant, you would stop over and pick up your food, pay for it, and go home. Now with WeChat, you can maybe message that restaurant and say, hey, I'm on my way. Mm. Can you have my food ready? When I see you, I'll pay, I pick up, I go. You don't need to say all that, but the idea is save me time. <laughs> you have my food ready, I see you, I go. The evolution of the product is I can pay you for the food on the app, I can pick up now and go. The further evolution is I can actually have that food delivered to me. Mm. Right now, obviously, WeChat also leveraged the Chinese government's mm. contact. But the idea was you could now see how this has leveraged pre-existing user behavior to surround services around that. Right? Mm. And so even in the UK, when people see tap to pay, mm. you're also leveraging the fact that the Oyster cards have always been mm -hmm. tapped to go. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So we then said to ourselves, in Afropolitan's context, especially for our mission, what would be the pre-existing user behavior for Africans that cuts across borders, right? Mm -hmm. If you took uh, Ibrahim from Senegal, mm. another Ibrahim from Nigeria, another Ibrahim from Ghana, South Africa, London, Barbados, and you put all these Ibrahims in one room and you filtered for class, tribe, religion, and they didn't have any of that in common, what would be the one thing they would all have in common where they'd be like, aha? And we already said, it's culture, but specifically music culture. But it didn't mean we had to go build a music app. But what it did do was it informed our thesis. Mm. Let them come in for the food, the music, the culture, the cool experiences. And then we leverage that to actually give them the tools to actually have an impact in their lives. Right? Mm. And so the idea is we can't start off with messaging because that's not our own reality. WeChat or even other platforms across the world have built from their own reality. We have to build for our own reality. And our reality is we're people who love to dance, we're people who love our music, we're people who love our food, our culture, our fashion. Let us utilize that and let it not be something we, 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 we are ashamed of. It should be something that's celebrated. Mm. But again, the juxtaposition of it is to say, we want to be able to have swag and also build pyramids at the same time. <laughs> there should not be, it should not be mutually exclusive. exclusive. Exactly, and so for us, the Egyptians are, are an example of that. The clothing, the swag, but they could build pyramids, right? Yeah. And so we're just going back to that. And so we're very excited about the Afro Pass, right? Um, and that, that is what we're really looking forward to, to launch. Very cool, yeah. right. excited as well. Cannot wait to get mine, getting my membership. Thank you. We're coming, yes. we're coming. This yes. is just too exciting. Yes. On the other side of the fence, mm -hmm. is there something that's making you sad? Mm. Think one or two things you would mm. like to see change in the continent. And whether it's the government, mm. whether it's the youth, what saddens you? I think for me, what saddens but also drives me was, I mean, the only reason I'm sitting here today with you is because I got a visa. Not because I was the smartest, not because I was the brightest, not because I was the most talented. And that how that is, seems to be the case for so many across Africa, where if you get a visa, you're able to get out, maybe you have better opportunities and optionality in your life. If you're not, you might be stuck. And I think for me, what dr drove me to Afropolitan was just realizing how many of my friends or family members or even, you know, just even extended family were just stuck, mm -hmm. right? and not knowing where to go, what to do, how mm. to get out of this funk. And you're saying to yourself, this could have been me. True. There's no difference, like the, I did not win a lottery. Like True. it was like, this could have been me. So 
the difference was I somebody said yes you get to leave and these these people might not get to leave right and so for me it's why should we accept this as our reality at all right like why should it be something we even make peace with and for a lot of us it's and I understand the mindset of sometimes it feels too much to handle as an individual but that's why we're approaching this as a community right you don't need to feel like the burden is only on you you should be able to rely on other folks who understand our why our, our what drives us and then we build together these pyramids were built sometimes by 100,000 people so that means you have to organize you have to talk about project management at scale right <laughs> 20 years Absolutely. right and so we have shown the capacity to organize and build coalitions that is what is also going to be needed here but i think when i when i think about what saddens me it's the the amount of young africans who are stuck who don't feel like there's any future and then you, ha you hear situations with the coups that happen across different african um, countries right and i think for us it's people want and what has also changed compared to back in the day not to say that people didn't um, want more back in the day is the internet enables you to see how somebody else is living right now. So it's not things you have to imagine. It's not a book you have to read. You can open up TikTok and open up Instagram and you'll say, ah, this is how it is in China. This is how it is in India. This is how it is in, 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 in New Zealand. What is the difference between me and this person here? And the only difference is good governance that has allowed other things to thrive. And you're asking yourself like, so what, what are Why we doing here, right? And so for me, it's, these things are achievable. It just takes us coming back to fundamentals, right? First of all, acknowledging our reality first. And what is this reality? Africa contributes only 2% of world, to world GDP today. And so because of that, it's very easy for the rest of the world to discount us because when they do, it's only 2% it's only that they're losing out on, right? Mm -hmm. And so... It's, it's important to acknowledge our reality today. We don't have the power, we don't have the leverage, we don't have the influence. But if you align people to say, this is what we're going to go achieve so that in 10, 15, 20 years from now, we can be like a Singapore, right? Because the difference was our, our problems in Africa are a feature or a bug, right? And in, our, in my own assessment, it's, it's a feature because it's a bug. When it's a bug, what it looks like is Singapore or Vietnam. Mm -hmm. The Vietnam War ended in 1975. Nigeria got its independence in 1960. Ghana mm -hmm. in 1957. Mm -hmm. Compare Vietnam today to Nigeria today, night and day, mm -hmm. right? And so you say to yourself, but what was the difference? Because you had a 15-year head start. Singapore, same thing. Their leader even came to Africa back then to say, okay, you guys seem to have certain things going on. What can I take from here to then go back to my land to help us improve? Look at Singapore today. Look at our countries today. So for us, it's we have to have an honest, accurate assessment of where we are so that when we then start to think through, okay, what is the future we want to see? We're building from that reality, mm. not from the delusions that we have about, oh, this or, or that. No, no, no. This is what we are today, but this is what we can be tomorrow. And that's, that's how we should be building. Superb, superb, yeah. superb. So a singer has to sing, mm. musician has to play music. Painter has to paint. What is it that Eche has to do to be? What is your verb? I think the word that comes to mind is venture. You have to venture. I have to venture. I used to not understand why I would love all the Viking shows. Like, you know, <laughs> the shows where there's the, the guy who's like, look, the status quo is not working. And we have to board the ships and go into the unknown. We don't know what the unknown is, but we do know what we have now, and this is not it. 
right? Mm. And so I remember just wondering, why do I love these Viking shows so much? Even though what it conveyed was you need to be able to know when it's time to venture and the risks are high. Going back to the Navarro quote we talked about, you have to be able to, you have to be willing to risk humiliation and failure in your own name, right? Your own name, but yes. then I came to find out that my grandfather's first venture was actually to some of the Viking countries, right? He went to Norway and Iceland back then and that's how he made his wealth through importing mm -hmm. stockfish. Mm -hmm. wow. So I always wondered like, why are these Viking shows speaking to wow. me? Because I never got to meet my grandfather, right? Wow. And so it, it's very interesting, but when the word that comes is venture. I think one of the things my uncle said to me was you, you, you always have that trailblazer energy, which is you're able to spot the next thing. Mm. The question now is, are you able to capture the value of spotting it? Because you know, there's tons of histories of people who, yes, you saw, you were there, um, and, but you weren't really able to enter into the promised land, right? And it's also fine to, for you to understand that that could be also your reality. But I think one thing I come, I've come to understand is I have to venture. Like it's something where I can't just, I, I'm much, I'm willing to go and step into the unknown. I've mm -hmm. never been somewhere before. I'm willing to face that fear and lean into that fear, but I have to venture. And I think when I think about like what drives me, it's I'm chasing like generational freedom that then leads to generational wealth, right? And mm -hmm. I want that not just for myself, but for my family, for my community, for my society, so that we can actually thrive. And the examples of what I saw in the Bay Area isn't just a sandbox. This becomes a global reality for a lot of people, so. Amen. Yeah. Two words of advice to the 17-year-old version of H.A. Man, I think that word compounding, it's like I, I didn't understand it. I would always hear about Warren Buffett saying compounding. I'm like, what's this man saying? Like, save it a lot, do this, do that. And I didn't understand when you realize how long life is. Because back then coming, I was always on the YOLO, the songs, like you only live once. You know, um, I think what is it that we used to say? It's like, I don't give a, I don't give a this. I don't give a shit. I don't give that. And then when you now start to grow up, you just start to realize like, oh, actually, I give a lot of shit. I, I, like, I, like to, 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 not to cuss, but like I give a fuck about a lot. About my family, about my loved ones, about my community. And because I do, that is where my freedom comes from. It's not the freedom of responsibilities. It's, it's not the freedom from responsibilities. It's the freedom through commitment, right? Mm. And so for me, it was, it would be what I would say to my 17-year-old self who was running from, who wanted freedom, but his definition of freedom was freedom from responsibilities. Mm. But now I would say to him, you can actually attain that freedom, but it'll be freedom through commitment. Mm. So what your job is, is to figure out the thing that you want to commit to for the rest of your life, where it doesn't matter whether the sun is out today or not, that freedom through commitment, if you choose to compound with it, you will be rewarded in unimaginable ways. And I think that would be the advice I'd give to my 17-year-old self. My brother, this was amazing. Thank you, man. Really, Thank really, you. really rich. Thank you. I wish you only the best. Thank you. And we'll do a lot together. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Silverbacks Valley. For more episodes around founders building dominant platforms from Africa to the rest of the world, you can follow us on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Anjami, and Audiomac. Tune in.